Our theme for 2014 is freedom in Christ. We're looking at different things we're free from and free of, free in Christ about, and looking at a number of different series. Our current series is called Free from Fear, and we're talking about things that we may not fear exactly. Uh, We're talking about things that may be more of an anxiety or a, a worry. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, that's what we're talking about. Not necessarily fear or scared to death of things, but uh, things that bother us, things that uh, worry us a bit, that we get anxious about, that we're distressed about some. Uh, that word, fear or worry or anxiety, is what God commands us over and over not to do. God commands us over and over to fear not. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. In fact, Paul's instruction in Philippians 4 that we've looked at every week, he says, don't be anxious about anything. And you know, by now the rest of the verse, he goes on and says, but in everything, whatever your concern is, whatever bothers you, but with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present it to God. Talk to God about it. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. We don't understand how it works, but the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. Anxiety, worry, fears, uh, they upset our hearts and minds. They keep us off balance and out of contact with God. They give us all sorts of troubles. And he said, don't be anxious about it. Give it to God. He will then give you his peace, which will guard your heart and mind. So that's what we've been looking at, uh, and we've been looking at different topics that we fear or worry about. Uh, today's one a little bit unusual, perhaps. I called it broken homeless. How did that happen? Uh, and the reason I called it that will become obvious in a moment. Uh, and this can be kind of a broad range of things. One extreme is broken homeless. Uh, financial disaster. Uh, losing everything. And some people fear that uh, in this uh, environment, in this economy, and what we see on the news. Some people do fear that. Uh, but maybe not that extent. Maybe it's just I'm anxious about my nest egg. Uh, I wonder if it's enough. Uh, what if it got cut in half? Uh, what if inflation doubled the price of everything? Do I have enough uh, to get by? In life. Now, you may or may not worry about such things, but I think there's enough here that might have a concern, a a little anxiousness about some of that, that it's worth talking about. You've seen homeless folks on the street. They usually have a sign of some sort that explains their problem or asks for money or uh, explains something anyway. If you haven't seen them on the street, you've seen them uh, stories in the papers. Uh, happens pretty well every year. They put on the front page an annual count of how many people are homeless uh, in Wichita and in Sedgwick County and uh, what the count is and how many children are homeless and uh, go through all of that. Uh, in fact, right now, I think the city is talking about a sales tax uh, to do something about homelessness. Uh, We've got, got to fix that some way so we know It's out there. Uh, And we might think, well, that'll never happen to me. Uh, 
Uh, not going to be me out there with the sign, uh, except if you listen to the media, because the media, uh, we are told to beware. We're told all the time, it happens. You know, it could happen to you. If you read the right things and pay attention, uh, they tell us every election cycle that if you put the Republicans charge or you put the Democrats in charge, depending on what year it is. If you do either one of those, uh, you and I are one paycheck away from sleeping in the car and eating at the Lord's Diner. It, it can happen. Uh, we get told that all the time. Uh, and let's make sure we get this in perspective before we get too carried away. Uh, I'm going to try to put it in perspective by telling you three stories. And I know I call this broken homeless just to kind of emphasize the financial disaster part of it. But I want to tell you three stories, and your job is kind of analyze them, listen to them, and decide which one's the worst. Okay? Uh, there's three stories. They're all bad, but one's the worst. So let's see if we can figure out which one is the worst. Story number one. The Great Depression. The Great Depression. There's a few people in here that lived through that. Uh, not a whole lot, but a few. Uh, most of them that lived through it were pretty young when they went through it. Uh, it happened in 1929 for you young people that haven't had it in history yet. Uh, the stock market crashed. It's kind of the biggie. Now you can argue all day over what caused that, but we won't have time. Uh, basically, when the stock market crashed, the value of everything went down. People didn't have anything to spend. Uh, things went so bad, you couldn't even get your money out of the bank. If you had your own money in the bank, it wasn't there anymore. Everything blew up. Uh, the whole economy just kind of went away. Uh, my dad lived through the Depression. Uh, his dad, my grandpa Tandy, uh, was a house mover. Back in those days, and you don't see too much of that these days, but they used to move houses. People would buy a house and move it to another location or uh, rearrange things for some reason. And had a pretty good business at that. He and his dad, his dad had started it. And had a pretty good business here in Wichita. And then in 1928, they moved to Texas uh, for a big job. Does anybody in here know where Periton, Texas, or Spearman, Texas is? Any of you Texans know where those are? Okay. Spearman and Periton didn't used to be there. They used to be about 30 miles away. Uh, but the railroad went through about 30 miles north of where they were. And so my grandpa and his dad went down there to move Periton and Spearman to the railroad. Uh, so they moved the whole town, uh, which was pretty good job for quite a while. Um, my dad, when he, they went down there, and he was like seven or eight, I think, and he said when they got there, it was 1928, mind you, uh, everything was prosperous. In fact, he, one thing he remembered was that wheat was piled up in the streets. Uh, they didn't have enough elevators to store the wheat, and they had so much wheat crop that the wheat was just stored, piled down in the middle of the streets. Uh, they did well. Now, the Roaring Twenties were roaring pretty well financially. And then in October of 1929, Black Tuesday happened. 
the stock market crashed. Uh, the market lost $30 billion in a couple of days, 30% or more lost. Uh, the economy followed it into the tank. Uh, obviously, nobody was buying houses anymore. Nobody was moving houses anymore. Nobody had any money. Uh, my grandpa found work as a well digger in West Texas, believe it or not, uh, digging for water. And he worked six 10-hour days, six days a week, 10 hours a day, and he got $6 for that. Uh, that's what it was like if you could find a job. My grandmother went to work as a secretary, and they got by pretty well. But lots didn't. Lots of people lost everything. Uh, people on Wall Street were jumping out windows of the tall buildings because they had lost everything, and there was nothing to go on for. Uh, and that, that all sounds pretty bad. Uh, then the Dust Bowl happened. Okay. Uh, then the entire Midwest, uh, all of the Great Plains, all of the, the great wheat-producing area, uh, basically it stopped raining in the 30s. They had stopped raining, and they had so much ground plowed up for wheat production that uh, everything just blew away. The topsoil just blew every time there was a windstorm, and there were lots of windstorms. Uh, nothing to hold the topsoil there. It was gone. Uh, Dad was 10 or 12 by then, and he said he remembers his mother putting uh, wet dish towels around all the windows and all the doors and trying to keep the dirt out. And you couldn't. He said when you woke up in the morning, you could see your head print on the pillowcase uh, because there was dirt all around it. Okay. Uh, that's what the Dust Bowl was like. Uh, soon, the farms were buried, and farmers were bankrupt. Uh, farms that couldn't grow any crops are worthless. Uh, thousands of people died of dust pneumonia from breathing the dust so much. Uh, it's unbelievable, I forget the number, but it's unbelievable the number of suicides that happened. Uh, during the Dust Bowl, farmers that just couldn't make it, couldn't take care of their families anymore, uh, relied on the life insurance to try to take care of them. People sold out. They left. Uh, they had evacuation sales. They put everything they had left on a Model T and headed for California. Uh, Grapes of Wrath. You can read that book or watch that movie and find out about it. The jobs were non-existent. Uh, this line up there in the left-hand corner of that picture, that line of men could be a lot of things. It could be men lined up to get their money out of the bank. There was a run on the banks early on. Uh, it could be a job opening somewhere with thousands of men lined up to get it. It's more likely a food line, uh, men standing in line to get some kind of food. Uh, unemployment was over 25%. I know that's hard to imagine. I mean, we're... 6% or something now, I forget what. And this isn't a great economy. Way, way too many people are unemployed or underemployed. And it was at least four times that bad back then. And a lot of people who were working were doing uh, work for the government that FDR had created. Uh, the whole thing lasted about 10 years. That's why they call it the Great <laughs> Depression. It was a huge thing. That's a bad story, isn't it? Uh, story number two. A little more familiar with this one, many in this room. The housing collapse. 
Uh, it goes by different names, but that's what I call it. Started in 2007, really, went into 2008 and went on past that. Uh, uh, the housing bubble, and almost everybody in here of any age remembers that. Uh, people basically bought more than they could afford. Everybody said real estate was going to keep going up, and so people just kept buying bigger and bigger houses and investing more and more. And the government helped. They made it easy to do that. Uh, here's a number to tell you what happened. From the 90s into 2007, uh, the debt-to-income ratio, disposable income, went from 70% to 127%. In just a few years, this is the average. The average household used to be in debt 70% of what they had to spend. And by 2007, it had gone to 127%. And most of that was in housing. People just thought this was the way uh, that was going to go on forever. Well, one day somebody woke up and said, whoa, real estate's not worth that much. And it crashed. Uh, houses lost 30% of their value. Sales went down 50%. Uh, in three years or so, there were over 6 million foreclosures. Think of it. Six million people lost their house. The bank took them back. Okay. Uh, and everything else followed. Uh, we lost about nine million jobs in those first few years. Uh, we're pulling out of it a bit now, but uh, our government's duplicating the exact same behavior uh, of invest, spending way more than they've got. So we're probably in another mess pretty soon. Now, that's a bad story, isn't it? Story three. It's found in Luke chapter 12. It's called the story of the rich fool, usually. And Jesus told this little story. It's a lot shorter than the other ones. Jesus said there was a rich man, and the crops were really coming in good. Yeah, everything was going good. And he looked around, and he said, you know, I don't even have room to store all my crops. Now, I'm going to have to pile it in the streets. Things are going so well. Uh, but instead, he said, I've got an idea. I'm going to tear down the barns i got, and I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to store all this wealth that I've got, and then I can sit back because I'm going to have plenty of good things. I'm going to have it made. I'll have all my wealth stored up, and for many years, I can just take life easy. I can just eat, drink, and be merry. Everything's going to be wonderful. And Jesus closed the story by, in essence, saying, that night, he died. Who got everything, Jesus said? Who got all of his wealth that he had stored up? Now, that's the shortest story, but we're not looking for the shortest. We're looking for the worst. Which is the worst story? I hope, I think in this group at least, that we should be able to agree that if you got a choice of being rich here and not making it to heaven, and your other choice is being poor here but reaching heaven, we ought to be able to agree that one's a whole lot better. Being poor here is not a good thing, particularly. Losing everything is bad, but it's losing everything. 
It's, it's this earth. I mean, we've talked about this. And I would hope this group would say, well, obviously the worst story is number three. Because that guy trusted everything in what he had here. And then the night he died, his soul was required of him, and he didn't make it. Because he had trusted everything here. Losing everything, this is what the perspective I want you to get. Losing everything would be really bad. But if it happened, it's not worth jumping out of buildings over. Yeah, because our perspective is different. Uh, our subject is financial collapse, losing all that we've worked for. And it's possible some of you in here have lived through that. Uh, if you've lived through it, if you were affected or you remember the depression or you were affected horribly by the housing collapse or something, you may fear this more than somebody that hasn't. But let's think logically about this. We've kind of put a little perspective on finances and eternity and all that. But let's establish one more basic thing. It kind of bothers me, well, it gripes me when the media tells me that I'm one paycheck away from being homeless, you know, that it can happen to anybody. Well, I realize it can happen. These days somebody could steal your identity and steal everything, I guess. Bad things can happen. But there's really no need to be broken homeless. Uh, there's really no need to wake up one day and ask, how did that happen? And that's why I came up with the title. Let me give you a few biblical principles real quick that are pretty near foolproof way not to end up broken homeless. Now, your stockbroker won't tell you these. Uh, your gold salesman won't tell you these. And your Kansas Star Casino won't tell you these. Uh, but these are uh, this is a pretty nearly foolproof investment strategy. Uh, step number one, don't be greedy. Don't be greedy. The people that end up bankrupt, a whole bunch of them, tried some get-rich-quick scheme. They tried to get a whole lot quick, and they lost everything. I don't know what percentage that is, but it's a big percentage of people that lose everything. Uh, second one, step two, live modestly. Who got hurt in the housing crisis? In general, those people who tried to live higher than their income. They saw this chance, and I don't blame a lot of them because it was just, I mean, the government was encouraging it. It was just a crazy time. But they thought, I can do this. I can buy this expensive house and pay it off with this cheap money and it'll never end and it'll just keep getting more valuable. They didn't live modestly. They, they tried to stretch it. Step number three, save steadily. It adds up. And I realize markets go up and down and all that, but people that save steadily usually do pretty well. How many stories have you read in the paper some old librarian died or something, an old maid librarian. Yeah, And they looked and she had a million dollars in the bank. You know, so She just put a little bit away every week. She lived modestly. She, she didn't get greedy. She stayed steadily and had tons of money. 
Uh, that's kind of the way it works. Now those three, I realize those three aren't profound in any way, but they give anybody a nearly foolproof strategy for not being broke and homeless. And, and the secret is they work well for anybody. Those three work perfectly well for an atheist, a reprobate, anybody. If you just don't get greedy and you live modestly and save steadily, you're probably going to be all right. Nearly 100% of the time. Now, the fourth step is the one that's got the God guarantee. It's the one that takes out the nearly out of the nearly foolproof. Okay. It was read for you before I started, Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five. David said, I've been young, and now I'm old. I've been young, and now I'm old, yet I have never, never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen their children begging for bread. There's the God guarantee. People that live right, follow God. God's going to take care of them. David said, I've never seen it. And David, you remember, he wrote a whole bunch of things about wise investing and being careful and saving and, and don't be greedy and all of that. And he said, I've seen people bankrupt. I've seen people lose everything. I've seen all of this, but I've never seen it happen to the righteous. That's a pretty good guarantee. Okay, we got the basics down. There's a difference between financial and eternity, and there's a difference between living right and living in a way that causes bankruptcies and problems. Can we lose everything? It's possible. It's possible. Uh, should we? If we follow biblical principles, I don't think so. Don't think that ought to be a worry. Uh, will God take care of his people? Yes. Yes. Now, having said all that, in these uncertain times, you may have done everything right. The nation's finances are so far out of whack that you're still scared. <laughs> you're still apprehensive. You're still unsettled. You're still anxious. Okay, if it happens, this is what we're dealing with, fear of being broken homeless and all that. If it happens, let's find some answers. Let's start with verse 3 of Psalm 37. That's where In Psalm 37, that's where David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen these children begging bread. And so in this great psalm, there's some pretty good tips. And let's just pick a few verses and go through. Let's start with verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Okay, I underlined the things that I think are important, and I've printed the whole passage out on your handout so you can underline them and make some notes by them if you want. Trust in the Lord. Can anybody believe that's in this sermon? Sermon number five in the series. We hadn't missed that one yet, have we? That's the answer to every word, hey, every week, every fear. Trust in the Lord. Yeah. Well, that's where our security comes from, trusting in Him. 
And on this topic, it's so easy to make the comparison, uh, compare it to the stock market. Anybody got a stock, a company that they really trust? That they've got a whole lot of money and they, they trust that one. And here's the reason I trust it. Look at this earnings chart. I mean, they have never lost money. They, they earn every year. They get better and better and better, and the chart just keeps going up. I trust them. That's what the word means. What's David say about this? Trust in the Lord. That's where you better put your trust. I'm not saying you can't have some trust in some stock, but just because the chart goes up and up and up, that's different than what David, David said, I have never, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, never seen his children begging bread. There's where the trust ought to be. And trust is not just an emotion, it's, it's deciding, it's a, a decision based on reason. And we look at God, we look at his book, we look at history, no reason not to trust him. He never fails, he's always faithful. Should have sung that one today. Great is his faithfulness. He doesn't fail. And then the second thing he said in this same sentence is, do good. Do good. And think of it this way. Do things that honor God. If you live your life like that, you're taken care of. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Almost sounds like trust and obey, doesn't it? I'm going to write a song about that. That might be the answer here. Probably is the answer to every fear we've got. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, he said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Be content with what you have. Do good. Be godly. Great gain. There's the trust. You trust him, and then you let... Do you trust that statement? Do you believe the statement that godliness with contentment is great gain? How many of you believe that? Okay. Everybody in here ought to raise their hand. They believe that. I mean, that's Scripture. You know? Do you live like that? See, there's the second part. Trust the Lord and do good. Live that way. Live like you're content with what you got. Verse number four. Let's look at that. Verse number four, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, this is whether things are going well or whether that unbelievable happening happened and you lost everything. Take delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. What's your strength? Nehemiah 8.10 says the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're making the Lord joyful and sharing in his joy, that's your strength. Well, what do you take delight in? Everybody in here would fill out a different list. What do you get delight? I could probably go into your house and look around and figure out what you delight in. See what kind of pictures you got on the wall, what kind of keepsakes you have. I, I could probably get a pretty good guess. You go in my house, you'd find pictures of uh, birds and animals and pheasants and quail and things like that. You'd probably figure, I like hunting. You have nature pictures of different scenes. And all this. They probably enjoy nature and the outdoors. You'd see a whole lot more pictures of children and grandchildren. I'd, we delight in them. 
Anytime the grandkids show up, it's a delight. Think about that. What delights God? What delights you? Do you think it delights him when you show up? Not here. I know he's here, but when you show up in his word, when you show up in prayer, do you think that gives him joy? Yeah, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Live like that. Delight in the Lord. Verse number 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn and your vindication like the noonday sun. Commit your way to the Lord. Well, what's the option? Those guys that jumped out the buildings on Wall Street, what had they committed their life to? What had they committed their way to? Making money. Making lots of money. It's almost here to say that's the opposite of what we ought to do. Commit your way to the Lord. Verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Two different topics here. Wait patiently. What's it take to wait patiently on God when things aren't going well? Magic word. Faith. Takes faith to wait patiently on the Lord when things aren't going good. You have lost everything. Somebody did steal your identity and cleaned out your bank account. Well, it takes faith to wait for God to handle it, for Him to fix it. So the faith comes in there. And then the second part is once again, don't be anxious about anything, but this one's specific. Do not fret. When people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. I think the picture is you've lost everything, and this wicked joker over here is still rich. It's easy to worry about that. It's easy to fret about that. He says don't. Okay, Out of all of these, that's the one that probably gives me the most problem. Okay, I was around in 2008 when the housing and the market and everything went wacky. I mean, I was like a lot of you. My 401k all of a sudden was a 201k. Yeah, and half of it went away. Yeah. And it bothered me to some extent. I don't think I lost any sleep about it. I, did, I figured, did it, God take care of me? I actually did. Remember Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five. That he never forsake the righteous. This is going to come out all right somehow. You know, if I do lose everything, I don't have to go on the street. The people at Northside will take care of me. It's yeah. the way God works. Okay. No, I, that really didn't bother me that much. Yeah, well, I was aggravated a little bit, but I figured it'd come back, and it will someday. You know, but <laughs> but what does aggravate me? I don't know if you'd say I fret about it, but it still makes me mad to see the idiots that caused it and the crooks that got rich off of it still doing fine and not behind bars. That aggravates me. Yeah. This verse says it shouldn't. 
I shouldn't fret about that. I ought to trust God's going to take care of them. I shouldn't worry about it. So I got to do better. That's what he says in here. All right, what have we seen? What did we find in all of this? Here's all the highlighted phrases out of there. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Take delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Wait patiently. Don't fret about people that got it better. If you had to summarize all that, could you wrap it up in one word? I think we could by now, couldn't we? Faith. Faith in God. What do we face our fears with? We face them with faith. This fear, fear of financial collapse, fear of not having enough, fear of losing things, we trust God. He'll get us through it. David said, I have never seen him fail. He never forsakes the righteous. I've never seen their children begging bread. All right, next time, actually the next time we're together, we're going to talk about fear of failure. Uh, But that's not next week. Next week is back to school Sunday, believe it or not. Uh, Some kids are already getting ready to go, and we've got to take care of that next Sunday. In fact, uh, my grandkids in Atlanta start school tomorrow, believe it or not, you Wichita kids. So you haven't got it as bad as you think you do. But it's about school time, so we'll take care of that next week. Get the Prayer Pal program kicked off for another year. and. Hope all of you youngsters are here for that special day. Lesson is yours if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation in any way. We'd be happy to help you on that. The elders will be at the front to receive you. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, come.